0: Hello and welcome to Under the Skin with me, Russell Brand, from Luminary. This week I speak to Philippa Perry. I've already spoken to her. She's a psychotherapist. She's an author. She's married to Grayson Perry. Her latest book, The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Parents Will Be Glad That You Did, has been released in paperback with a new chapter on siblings. Cool. She's a brilliant woman to talk to, wise and grounded and strong and clear candid and a good conversationalist i really enjoy talking to her before we get into that here's a few things that i'm promoting but there'll be things that you're into firstly ask me anything a new podcast called ask me anything where you can interview me you can ask me any question like all you gotta do right is go over to russellbrand.com forward slash ask me anything and you can leave a question right it's as simple as that do i yeah you just you, you go there you click the button you go there you click a button and you record it 60 seconds, and then you'll be in the podcast. You go, Russell, why, why is it you've done this? Why do you live this way? Have you shaved that beard yet? You could ask anything you want. It could be deep. It could be silly.
1: Yeah, and
0: we've got, you can check out the snippet on social. Snippet. Of Have a face. look at... <laughs> snippet? <laughs> Ugh, what a nasty little word a snippet, snippet is. Finally, someone else is getting the snippet treatment. <laughs> <laughs> It's just... Snippet. A, not in real... What, otherwise, segment. A snippet. I don't know. You don't say snippet. I say snippet. <laughs> snippet. <laughs> snippet <get> in a <laughs> redin accent. Snippet in an Irish <laughs> accent. Snippet <laughs> in a South African accent. Snippet, snippet, everywhere. <laughs> snippet. I don't like the word snippet. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. It's all what drug. would you say if you were saying it? Uh, clip. Oh. Section? <laughs> clip or section. Clip, yeah. Well, snippet uh, snippet should we ban the word we can't ban words you no know, oh, it's against free speech <laughs> that's right Django <laughs> that's right unless it's hate speech but snippet <laughs> is a hateful little word dip 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 um okay so like alright what well, they can listen to a snippety dip 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 <laughs> on the internet can yeah, they yeah on Instagram or Facebook go there Facebook. go there go to Instagram or Facebook as Demai suggests cool. um okay so, uh, you're yeah, this is exclusive to lunar subscribers. I don't let anyone ask me anything, do I, Jen? You don't let anyone ask you anything? No. Not like Ever. if I'm out and about, don't I? Uh, well, I mean... How can maybe can you anticipate you... it to stop it? <laughs> Hold on a minute. You look a bit inquisitive. <laughs> Are you about to ask me anything? I'm out of here. No, you're, uh, you're right. You can't anticipate it. But Someone I think could you be... like questions. I do, don't I? Yeah. Because uh, guess what I've started doing with uh, Annabelle and Demeyer here? TikTok. And it was good, wasn't it? Mm. Even Annabelle says, and Annabelle, for someone who's in their 20s, has no enthusiasm. <laughs> no, she's at work, being a professional yeah. person. She's very welcome to be however she is. But compared <laughs> to Demaya, very enthusiastic, passionate person. It's balanced. Jen, yeah, not at the moment, because, like, Gareth and Charlie are not in here. Bear is quite enthusiastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you and Demaya... Yeah, I've got the Maya. The Maya's enthusiasm makes... Oh, and I'm enthusiastic. Yeah. About myself. (laughs) That's narcissism. (laughs) Enthusiasm for the self, that's narcissism. Isn't it? That's got to be nipped in the bud. But about the work... Yeah, the work. I am enthusiastic. You're right. Okay, we're well balanced. We're a well balanced team. We can handle this. We can handle this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, ask me anything. You can ask me about team dynamics. You can ask me about whatever you want. How, why do I continue to tolerate Jenny May Finn? That's one I'll struggle to answer right there. Now, remember to sign up to my mailing list on RussellBrand.com. Check out my YouTube channel for more spiritual videos, political insight videos. And tell me, do you want the truths to come back? Is that what you want? Because that's what happened. What, Jenny, you don't want that? Isn't it no. the truth? Mm. It is the truth. truth. Isn't it? In a way it is, but what Why would it? you want to call it the truce again? It's a nice word. Welcome to the truths. But a lot of people went, What? The day. Yeah. They <laughs> <laughs> don't care. True news. True news. True news. Trues. But also <laughs> well, we'll probably get some graphics done, you know, jazz things up a little bit, make it all nice. Please God, God willing, inshallah. Check out my uh, YouTube video anyway, uh, channel, because there's loads of videos and they're pretty bloody good. We've been working quite hard on them. Get in touch on social media at Rusty Rockets, hashtag under the skin, Instagram at Russell Brand, TikTok, all of them, just Russell Brand. I'm called Russell Brand. Now, let's get into uh, this interview with the wonderful, insightful and brilliant Philippa Perry. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a no, successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where
1: it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology.
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. And Welcome to Russell Brand. Under the skin. Philippa, thank you so much for coming on and uh, for helping me focus my intentions, which I think are hopefully broad and reasonable. Do you you agree? They sound perfectly broad and reasonable. Thanks for coming on. The the main thing that we like, uh, let's uh, talk about what you're doing. You're... uh, Ah, that's the... I know this book, The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read, which I know is a super successful book. Uh, it's like the the paperback of that's coming out. That's the sort of um, perfunctory focus. And there it is, the, bush you, the Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read. And Your Children Will Be Glad That You Did. And go on, why is that? I mean, my, my assumption is it's like you bridge the kind of uh, abyss between a parent and a child that, if not filled somehow, it could be problematic.
1: Um... What it is, it's concentrating on your relationship with your child. Because what we tend to do is pass down what was done to us. And even if we have all the best intentions, we still sort of do that unconsciously. So this is to help you have the best relationship with your child, which is what a child wants. It wants a great, safe relationship with you. Not it, they. (laughs) Um, They want a great relationship with you. And that's what's going to do them the most good in life. So you both want that.
0: None of us, by definition, understand our own unconscious biases. So it is part of the book bringing to the forefront the type of habits or territory of unawareness that you might be operating in?
1: Well, one of the big ones of that is that um, we tend to have the same feelings that we had. When we were the same age as our kid. So maybe there was a massive bust up between our parents when we were, say, three or something like that. So when the kid gets to be about three, you might start to feel like insecure, you might just start to feel frightened. And then rather than feel these things, you might think, mm, I don't think parent is for me. I think I'll get divorced and then I'll only have the kid half the time. Or, The same feelings come up for you as they came up for you when you were the child's age. And it's really useful to unpick that. And I give examples in the book of that happening. And uh, hopefully people can then recognize when it's happening to them.
0: Is that something that's uh, underwritten through clinical uh, data that people project trauma onto children that's appropriate further is that sort of commonly understood or is that more anecdotal philippa
1: um well it's not the sort of research you can do in a quantitative way it is qualitative research but it is uh has been noted in a lot of case studies by uh, psychologists and psychotherapists yeah
0: mm. so like i'm a parent my children are four and two and like at the when I think of it, my m- main focus is to try and stay awake and aware and look at where I'm being led by them, and when it is necessary or prudent to uh, limit and sometimes prohibit their behaviours. I suppose that's the challenge I face. There is because of the the. the a priori responsibility to keep myself together
1: yeah it is and that's why when people say should i like, let my kid do this that or the other i go i'm not responsible for laying down what limits should be you know your own limits what i say is that it's really important to put down a boundary before you reach your limit yeah suppose you know that after nine o'clock at night um all you can do is um melt down and sh- and swear <laughs> that means that's your limit right yeah so it means you have to put your boundary down like an hour before like eight o'clock so you can have a nice relaxed sort of putting the kids down reading them stories whereas if you left it till t later you wouldn't be that nice person so you have to Know what your own limits are. You might not like the idea that you can't sort of give forever, but no one can. We all need boundaries so that we can stay in a good mood, really.
0: Yeah. May I ask, were you experimental in your own parenting necessarily? That's my first question. And then what happens if there is conflict between the, if they're in the case that there are two people or, you know, more? Two parents, yeah. Yeah.
1: Was I experimental? Well, I knew I didn't want to do to my kid what had been done to me, which was if I was saying I was feeling something like I feel sad or I feel angry or I'm hungry even, I'd get back, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because it was inconvenient. Like um, I was never allowed to be unhappy. And this is a, you know, parents feel like they're failing if their child is unhappy, but, you know, we all have all the feelings. And, Just because your child is unhappy about something that wouldn't make you unhappy, such as there being no jam for tea or whatever it is, doesn't mean to say they're not devastated by it and their whole world isn't falling apart by it. And rather than go, you shouldn't have these feelings, which makes you feel like you shouldn't be yourself, it's much better to go you're so upset about there being no jam for tea. I can see you're absolutely gutted. I don't expect peanut butter would help, you know, or or whatever it is. You can, rather than telling them off for having feelings, you sort of go with the skid, I call it, steer into the skid. Right. And so my parents never did that. And I did actually have a feeling like, will this be dangerous? Will she feel terrible uh, because I'm saying, yes, it is bad that there's no jam for tea. I, I feel for you in that. But she cheered up straight away, usually, when I went with her feeling, because we have to shout the loudest when we feel unheard. So if the kid feels heard in whatever it is they're feeling, they can move on. They don't have to stay stuck there. So that was a, that was a great experiment. Yeah. And the other thing you asked me is, like when two parents disagree about something, I think what you can agree about is that you each have your individual relationship with each child, okay? Yeah. So suppose it, um, in the old days when we used to go out for the night, suppose your co-parent is going out for the night or whatever and you're left with the kids and you go, come on, 8.30 bedtime or something. And they go, but mum, let's just stay up till 11.00 you don't want to get into an argument about what is right and what is wrong. you said that's what Mum does. I don't because if I don't watch Newsnight alone, I will lose it, so we have to go to bed now, so you can have your individual relationship with each child, mm. and it's kind of unrealistic to think you're going to have a united front about everything, and rather than one of you being right or one of you being wrong. It's more like one of you does it like this and the other one does it like that.
0: Philippa, when you said that thing about, you know, if I don't get to watch Newsnight or whatever, I'll freak out. Do I sometimes feel like I am um, I am a uncertain around revealing my own evident fallibility because I don't want them to think that their parents are not able to handle reality (laughs) well
1: i think it's so much better if you say something like um i don't want you to eat a second cream bun because i'm frightened you'll be sick rather than saying i don't want you to eat a second cream bun because you will be sick i think it's much better if we define ourselves rather than the child. Because who right. wants to be defined? Who wants to be, t- be told what they're like? I mean, you must have been told what you're like by people who think you, they know you. And it, it's not that pleasant unless they get it right, which they rarely do. And your kid is no different. So um, it's, I think it's better to say, um, I want you to hold my hand when we cross the road because I'm frightened of the cars, rather than, you will get run over unless you hold my hand.
0: So yeah, you define yeah. yourself
1: and not them. But yeah, you're right. You obviously don't want to say, I'm going to lose my shit unless you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Daddy's very unstable. <laughs> Daddy's don't freaking out! out the moment. <laughs> I think it's much better
1: to say, I would prefer it if. Mm. And I mean, I did the same with my ancient old dad when he was in his dotage and he was getting in a a right mess with all his meds and I said uh you know I've I've got a chart for you and I've got a pill box so you know when to take what when he goes I don't need that stop babying me and I just said okay you probably don't need it but I want you to do it for my sake because I'm worried about it so so I worry less will you use the pill box and then he was fine with it when he thought he was doing it for my sake and our children are the same if they think, oh, I've got to hold their hand when I walk down the street mm. because they're frightened of getting lost, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good to bring that level of awareness to it so that people, because like, I suppose the fact is is that if you're not doing that, it's possible that one is projecting unconsciously their fear onto you know, an yeah. older person or a younger person. So to mitigate that, you own your own feelings. I think I'm all right about, with that. I'm a 12-step person, you know, and it's a lot of that's about inventory, owning your own fallibility and flaws, you know, that stuff's right up the front with that. Um, What about, Philip, I read something the other day, I can't remember where, that that much of our parenting is predicated on sort of protecting the child from some real or imagined threat rather than the installation of like a set of values, i.e. like when I'm saying stuff like... Like recently I've had to say things like, look, this is our house. Don't smash our house up. We live here. We love it. Or don't talk to people like that. We are kind to people. We don't talk to people like that. That can hurt people, you know, when you're sort of giving them values. I don't want... Yeah,
1: I think it's good to say, you know, if you're on the other side of being pointed at and told you're fat, say, um, you might... Because all kids go, "Mom, look at that fat lady. And I think it's a good time to say it's not great to talk about people in front of them because they might not like it. They might feel sad if you do that. So please don't do that. You know, I think that that's great. And I think you're right. We should do, we should do values rather than what was the other thing?
0: Like sort of a fear predicated or consequence predicated.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and also when we're doing values, I prefer it like this is also a good way of of, of putting them down. You know, putting yeah. down those boundaries.
0: Right. This is our values. We need to sleep at night. We need you to go to sleep because otherwise we can't look after you as well as we would like to type of stuff. Maybe. Yeah. What about when you want to sit like... Oh man we had this thing about nose picking like i like i don't, i say
1: sorry was i doing it just then it's on... yeah
0: pack it in puckers. like this is there's a visual component to this podcast like um i'm i don't know what this is about me and uh, you know l- luckily i'm not talking to a psychoanalyst but like i don't like to impose <laughs> i don't like to impose too much regulation on my children's organic behavior and i certainly don't agree with the use of shame in any area right because i know how dangerous that can be and it made me recall the time when i was probably about 30 picking my nose in a in a, a hotel and a bloke going oh don't be don't pick your nose while i'm eating my food and i went don't eat your food while i'm picking my nose why is one set of va- why do you assume that your value system trumps like you know my mate who was with me and you are an idiot man like <laughs> like picking your nose that's a sanctioned thing but i went but why why what is objectively picking an argument isn't it <laughs> a- Oh a- that's a- good Oh, I wish I'd had, see, if you'd been there, I would have had a more concise, like, pun-based utility there with that dude. But it, but I suppose, like, um yeah, firstly, I don't agree with that thing with Shane. But what about, like, something that my, one of my kids, she chews, like, she started to chew her sleeve. Now, one thing about that is it makes me feel like it might be that she's frustrated or anxious or something. I don't want to hit her with that. Maybe she just likes it. Um, But how do I, how would you suggest guiding someone away from that what sort of moves would you make
1: i mean you can only say what your personal preferences are can't you sort of like it makes me feel a bit icky when people pick their nose and eat it at the table i wonder if you could do that when no one's looking Mm. you'll never stop doing it because it's gorgeous and it's great fun but if you could do it when no one's looking it's kind of more socially acceptable
0: yeah because you find yourself trying to explain society and values pretty early on in those conversations i
1: mean the 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 value-based thing that gets up my nose the most is when people think that you should force your kid to say please and thank you like some sort of like robot thank you very much mrs perry (laughs) you know like that whereas i think if you show gratitude to kids they know how to express gratitude and they all recognise it as a thing that they feel. So when they pass you the pretend cup of tea, maybe the 30th pretend cup of tea they've given you that day, when you go, oh, thank you, then they learn please and thank you rather than it being drilled to be something that you say but don't feel.
0: Yes, I recognise that, that if we like, load them up with protocols, we're creating aut- automatons and-, and people that are not locating what their actual feelings are, That that they're not being allowed to feel their own feelings. There must be, and indeed, obviously... Uh- Are so many pitfalls in parenting because there can be a claustrophobia to it, enmeshment. So many things that I always feel that I lack objectivity around my parents because I'm though it's their eyes that I'm looking at them with. I feel it's impossible to unstitch my you know, my opinions and feelings about them. And, and as a result, my feelings about my parents get supercharged super for good and for ill, you know, like a, a sentiment. It's really
1: difficult it. when somebody says, describe your parents to me. And I think, well, I can only de- really describe the feelings I had when I was with them. You know, who am I to describe them? And it's the same with your kids. You think about all the pitfalls. But I think if you concentrate on having the best relationship possible, mm-hmm. best for you and best for them, you know, the best relationship you can have with them and they can have with you, it's it's quite a good value to hold on to. So you don't worry so much about the pitfalls. But of course, you'll make mistakes. I've, I'm, I think one of the biggest ones I made was like being overawed by my toddler's maths ability. She could do long division when she was like, before she could, before she was dry in the night, you know, she was like really clever on the maths front, not so good on the not pissing herself at night front, but, you know, swings and roundabouts. Anyway, and um, I used to say, oh, my God, you're amazing. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. You did so well at that maths. And in retrospect, with the benefit of hindsight, what I should have emphasised and what I should have done was said, oh, you tried really hard at that. And I'm so impressed for how long you can concentrate with. And look how much effort you're putting in because she could do this math stuff without any effort whatsoever. So she didn't actually try. And then when she went to university and she was with all the other clever kids that could do maths, but they'd learned to try, she was like, ah, you have to put effort into this. Ah. And I'd never praised the effort. Um, I'd always praise the result. That was a terrible mistake, but you know, she's forgiven me. We're good.
0: That's good. And it's and a transferable...
1: Like mistakes.
0: Yeah, I feel you. And, like, it's a more transferable resource. Like, try, if someone recognises that something requires effort, then that's a resource that's going to be super helpful in relationships and work or whatever. Yeah, People if, so if effort...
1: That. If you sort of praise or note that someone's trying hard and someone's managing to concentrate, it's so much better than if you say, that's such a good drawing, especially if you've got two kids... Because if you've got one of two and one of four, of course the four-year-old can draw better than the two-year-old. And so if you just praise the effort that goes into it, the two-year-old doesn't think, oh, I'm rubbish at drawing.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Tina Fey, in her biography, autobiography, said about like that, how she's never being attracted to men that don't treat her well because her dad always made her feel that she was complete that she was valuable and that she was enough and when i like i read that before i had children and like it's it's really influenced the way that i parent my children um but possibly to the point where I'm n- not leading them to believe that they're enough, but they are in fact superhuman <laughs> and, and beyond re- reproach or judgment. I also saw about like, you know, how unconsciously we gender our parent in and like, I like some, some Swedish documentary or another, again, before I had kids. So like, I'm always, you are brave. You are strong. You are powerful. I'm sort of teaching them how to be Darth Vader. Yeah. 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 Both my children are, are go. There's love a lovely
1: it. book, actually. Um, called Gender Swap Fairy Tales. And it's uh, it's it's illustrated by Carrie Fisher with a K. And what it is, it's like all the fairy tales in, in beautiful sort of 1915 language. And they've just swapped the genders. Cool. So you can have vulnerable princes and you can have brave princesses. And uh, it's just such a lovely book because it's all the classic fairy tales. And it's um, gender swapped, Nice. but it gets stuck and it makes the reader you if you're reading it out loud so aware of your
0: unconscious bias yeah hang on a minute this princess is brave <laughs> that's that's what goes on in my head I go, oh god <laughs> straight into the fire with this this princess did as <laughs> she was told yeah no so that is a good way of exposing it and uh, yeah Rapunzel is Rapunzel stuff. let down your beard Oh, I don't like the idea of climbing up a beard with bits of dinner in it. Whatever turns you on, <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, so, Philippa, what is the your like the type of psychotherapy that you uh, practiced? Practice. What is it like? Uh, is so it, integrative. It? Integrative. What does that mean?
1: It means it's integrated, which means um. that it. I my first training was in humanistic psychotherapy, Gestalt, and all of that. And my second training was more psychoanalytic and psychodynamic. And I then I love a bit of existential, throw it all in. And then when you've been practicing for years and years and years, the sort of therapy you dish out is Philippa therapy, mm. really, because the best thing you can be is yourself. And, yeah, you've got all the theories backing you up and all the research backing you up. But what people need more than anything is a relationship with you. So – um if I can be myself with another person, that's probably for the best.
0: Do you still have patients?
1: I uh, don't have any new patients.
0: Yeah, yeah, you just see people you've seen for ages.
1: I have, I have what you call product
0: recalls from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> this needs fixing. But like, okay, come back. The last five ten years, I've seen um, the rise of um, i what do i want to say public intellectuals that uh, in a couple of instances from your field uh, like whether jordan peterson or gabor mate who apply principles of psychoanalysis and psychotherapy to broader social issues is that something you do yourself and have you got an opinion on that
1: i like to apply um all theories about human beings onto all situations. And I like to do sort of cross fertilization of, of different um, disciplines as well. I'm very interested in anthropology and how we behave as groups say. And um, I love, I, I love particularly reading the very politically incorrect stuff about previously uncontacted tribes i mean it's politically incorrect because you know we tend to impose our values on them and and see them through that lens and uh, give them our coals which is terrible because it kills them so we shouldn't be going around contacting uncontacted tribes but when people have done that and i've read their studies i've been absolutely fascinated and one of the main things that fascinates me about it is uh, there's a woman called Margaret Mead who... Oh, God, what's the name of her book? Can't remember. Uh, but she did this sort of looking at different tribes and their and their cultures and their attitudes. And she, in Papua New Guinea, she found the Arapesh and the Mungador. And the Arapesh had... Um, they were really chill. They loved each other. They cooperated. They collaborated with each other. They, um, all their babies were were child led weaning. Um, they played with their kids all the time. They had equal parenting, equal work. They were they were totes chill and really nice people. However, they were so nice that they only had the stony ground to live on because, and so they quite often went a bit short of food and they didn't have much stuff. They had the rocky shore, but the fish came and went. So they had no kind of sustainable source of food. Whereas the Mungador, who lived in the valley, they were aggressive. Um, You could tell when Mungador people had 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 sex because both parties would be covered in scratches because the way of having sex was to attack each other. Um, They uh, breastfed standing up and as soon as the baby sort of, stop for air they'd hang it back on a basket on the wall again they were kind of brutal and uh they argued they fought they killed each other they were cannibals uh but they had the lush valley they had the um beautiful fertile um ground so they could grow really good crops they had surplus so they could buy stuff they could get nice you know woven stuff they bought fancy flutes from other tribes and stuff. Um, so they had stuff and they were comfortable and they didn't starve, but they had horrible personal relationships. And um, the Arapesh didn't have much, but they loved each other. And it's a bit like, it's a bit like Democrats and Republicans, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of like, oh, I'm out for me and I want my stuff. Oh, but we should share. And it, I feel like that kind, and there's other tribes as well, there's the Mwari and the Muariari uh, from the Pacific Islands. That uh, The Muari were the aggressive warriors, which is why we've got them around today and they survived. But the Muariari, I might be getting the names of all these tribes wrong because I'm very dyslexic. They were, they, they were the chill hunter-gatherers that um, never had any surplus and they were wiped out by the other ones. So it's difficult, isn't it? what do we be? Do we be arapesh and not have enough to eat and be wiped out? Or do we be Mungador and trample over everyone? And there must be, I think our, our job is to be something in the middle, isn't it?
0: Yes. I mean, it stands to reason that whatever the dominant values are of our time are the values that have succeeded, that in a, in a sense are the product of evolution and the sort of natural selection or indeed agricultural, industrial or technological selection of our time now that power dynamics have shifted so radically and huge decisions can be made by a relatively concentrated group of people. But it's almost a social Darwinian's dream to hear that the Mungadors were living it up in lush valleys while the arapesh was scratching around in pebbles for a bit of grain and hoping that a fish might turn up once in a while
1: yeah but um the uh, Mungador killed each other with aggression but the arapesh died from starvation so it's a lose-lose situation being human isn't it?
0: Uh, it, it, it certainly if death is considered as a bad result then you have to acknowledge yeah we all know where it's heading but like um I for, I think also uh, a lot about anthropology in the sense of its application to me and people now I feel like that my in my own life I think how can I emulate if not synthesize conditions that would be amenable to what i am evolved for for what we have evolved for for hundreds and thousands of years so that we're not entirely dislocated or as sebastian junger says in his book tribe we live in conditions it's difficult to imagine a worse condition for the type of animal we are than living in concentrated cellular atomized aggressive greedy we are pack
1: animals uh We, uh, you know, we should be in a village of about 140 people and we should be in a family of about 15 and we should have about six close friends.
0: Yeah. Beyond that, it gets tricky.
1: Beyond that, it gets tricky because people have different values and believe different things.
0: Yes, that's right. And like um, my understanding from, um, from like a primates is like a group will split at around 140 and sort of reform itself. And there's lots of studies about like, you know, sort of the myth of the alpha male and the way that actually there's alpha female, beta males and females that sort of in a delicately balanced ecosystem of hierarchical power. I, I I do feel, though, that like particularly at this sort of a rather fractured time that you've already alluded to in your sort of mangador. Arapesh analogy as well as accurate historical recounting, perfectly pronounced by the way, that we sort of live at this time where um, I feel it is becoming evident that there is such an ideological diaspora that we're trying to rein it in enshrine it under one dome of America or the United Kingdom when perhaps these rather the, the, these ideas of perhaps I, I mean ideas the idea of nation has perhaps served its purpose has taken us as far as it can it's
1: beginning to feel a little bit false and a little bit old fashioned isn't it because the, the the nations that seemed that seemed the most powerful as the nation of amazon or the nation of microsoft like these big companies seem to have more power i wouldn't be surprised if they start getting their own armies soon wow digital armies or something um yeah because it, it does seem a bit odd the way we've organized ourselves and if you think if you look at territories on, on a on a map where all the um, you know on an animation where all the boundaries move the whole time nothing stays the same and and maybe our nationhood thing we're the best we're the best country in the world has outlived its uh, usefulness or purpose
0: yeah yeah e- e- even its plausibility because there there are so many opposing values corralled into these, let's face it, ultimately imaginary <laughs> conceptual notions. Oh, it's about our history, it's about sort of ethnicity, or no, it's about diversity, progressivism, it's about, you know, sort of it's like I f- I'm increasingly feeling what, as long as people aren't hurting anyone else, let them set up their own tribe, but they do, what the hell they want. You know, like it's like, you know, like in these recent fractures. What
1: the hell they want might be to kill me.
0: I think that now that falls under the first bit, hurting other people. They can't kill. Oh, them. okay, you had that thing. That's that, good. That, in the sort of confederacy that I'm pl- plotting on the back of this envelope, <laughs> there, there would be no homicide. No homicide. <laughs> no um,
1: homicide. Yeah, that's great. If we all agree to no homicide, I'm I'm for that.
0: And I so like these are the conversations I find myself having, Philippa, about like people trying to agree on some basic values that help to bridge this sort of this apparent bifurcation that s- seems to be occurring everywhere. And perhaps, do you feel like you are an artist also, aren't you, as well as a psychotherapist? How do you, what do you feel of the the role of art is in helping us to create and evolve new ideas? and systems and ways of communicating whether that's on an individual level in a family say or you know workplace or brought more broadly
1: art is useful for processing incubate feeling so some things you just can't put into words but you might feel satisfied with something you've made that seems to represent what you feel and then somebody looking at your representation might go oh i feel that too or that's, met, that's brought up a feeling in me I didn't know I had. And so it, it's useful on that level. And I suppose it was useful in the past as a unifier because uh, you could tell Bible stories with art if, you, if people were illiterate. And so that we could all believe in the same thing, which would, which would bring us together as a tribe. But you'd think as we all believe in money now, that could bring us together, but it doesn't seem to have done so.
0: No, I like what you said about like uh, uh, accessing in color, emotion or a- unconscious territory, because that reminds me sort of of where we began with your talk of parenting, that yeah. we have to be able to access inner resources as yet unharnessed. I felt when I, I once when I see a Francis Bacon, I can't remember what it was, but I've, maybe it was that Pope in a box or something. I remember thinking oh, my God, like, you know, this dude has spent time at 3 a.m. going, ah, God, <laughs> just from like, the way that that painting's rendered. And, uh, you know, that, that is, uh, yeah, impossible to articulate beyond, as I've just demonstrated, a shriek, which is probably not worth as much.
1: It's quite interesting art because it's some, it, when you study art, you realise it has got quite a complex language that isn't acceptable accessible to someone or someone who hasn't studied art will have a very different reaction to it. And so it's a language like any other really. It's just um, a language
0: of blob. (laughs) Do you think we're artistically illiterate culturally? Well,
1: I know I am when it comes to the art of other cultures. Like I haven't ever studied um, say Japanese art and I'm only just beginning to get it um so i think yeah i think we can be really illiterate about other cultures art yeah because it's just as complex and as uh you know because we're all doing it about humans and the, the human experience so it it's all equally complex but we must we might think oh that's very simple shapes it's much harder to do chiaroscuro than it is
0: to do blobby blobby so mind superior not necessarily yeah um, do you feel that uh, in like in the language and in t- teleology, I'm going to use the word teleology or telos of uh, therapy, there is a kind of uh, inherent individualism and the real um, solution based therapy has to be by its uh, nature relational and in relationship and in community? Uh,
1: yeah, I- I think everything has to be relational in order to get solved. We are formed in relationship, so we reform in relationship. And so I think um, the sort of westernised individualistic view is kind of bonkers. Because, you know, as we said earlier, we are pack animals. So is it not the pack that drives us mad? when they all see something differently to we, than what we do, so we think we're going mad. And then um, isn't it the pack that has to come and look at it from our angle so that we don't go mad, so but that we all expand because we all look at things through each other's viewpoints. Everybody has an individualistic view. Um, you know, if I hold up... Um, 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 if I hold it up this box, um, uh, you might say, uh, yeah, that's a box with pictures of uh, headphones on it. i go, no, it's just got writing on it. It's got no hit- pictures of headphones and it's the same box because I'm looking at the writing side. I think what we have to do is continually turn the box around so we all, have, we all can understand each other's subjective view of the world. And of course, it takes longer than going, I'm right but it makes us yeah. less mad.
0: I think you're right uh, that um, pl- pluralism and, uh, to a degree, you know, relativism, ma- like, is necessary. And that this assumed cost of speed—that's one of the cultural imperatives that I wish could be, to a degree, yeah, alleviated. is one
1: of the things. Uh, always being in a hurry is the one of the things that. Uh, does kids the most harm actually because they have their own pace which as they're taking more in they they don't select what they're looking at or what they're experiencing like we do so everything takes a bit longer for them and I think it's quite important to go at the child's pace when you can Uh, otherwise they just get a feeling of being late and being in a hurry and being anxious it makes them anxious when we say hurry up, hurry up to them yeah yeah. I always say, if you're worried about getting in time for school, just get up an hour earlier. Yeah. Just just chill. Just relax a bit. Let them watch a cartoon while they're putting on their shoes or whatever they're doing.
0: Yeah. Just slow it all down. Because I'm so prone to, you know, anxiety and fear, I try not to lean in to them kind of energies at all if i stay conscious and if i'm a what, conscious, the rush I... energy or the yeah yeah rush like i feel that like when i start doing that like it's that's it made me go a little bit crazy like i access i reckon a different hormonal or even neurological grid when i start sort of it feels to me like the imposition of will i try to prioritize serenity above everything a minute something starts making me not calm like when i'm on my game like step back and of. all right you're now you're moving out of safe territory now you're moving out of that part of your personal sovereignty where i can be relied upon to listen and be uh you know sort of fair and all that once i start you know, but it, it precisely in the ordinary domesticity of albeit a relatively privileged family that like that that, that you can feel that turbulence of like we, you know we've got to do this we've got to do that i try to maintain a kind of real laissez-faire attitude to most things unless it's at odds with my own rather um what do i want to say sort of simplistic ethics around compassion kindness like you know and, and if i'm it's only when i'm tired or distracted in some other way fearful or whatever that then i do suddenly want to control reality i guess because i feel out of control
1: yeah um i sometimes have a sort of rushing thing in my head where should you be what should you be doing why are you here why will you rush come on hurry up hurry up it's sort of like I can in the days when we used to go into town I could be in town and somehow think I had to rush home and there was nothing I had to rush home for but I had this I think I got it from my dad who was always in a hurry and he was always telling me to hurry up and it's almost like that I sort of imbibed that hurry up, hurry up message that here I am at 63 and I can still be ruled by it if I don't go, What? why am I rushing? Why can't yeah. I walk home? Why do I have to get a car home? I don't, I can walk. It's. I'm not doing it for anyone, the rushing. It's just sort of like, almost like it's a interject I had that I don't need and I find it really difficult to get rid of. And... uh I was very concerned not to pass that on to my child.
0: Yeah. It's I must say parenting is making me more mindful because I recognize something that you said earlier and it's in our research that you know like that they are probably much more influenced by what I'm doing than what I'm saying and if they see me staring at a phone rushing being fearful frustrated that that's gonna have more impact and we're never rude to people and we always try to understand one another you know. yeah
1: yeah because actual words they understand what they mean and they, you can have a little conversation but most communication is just being with someone which is why it's so much better to zoom than it is to have a telephone call i can't bear phone calls
0: uh, you think that yeah, the visual component is vital. I
1: mean, it's a bit crap because it's a screen and that, but it's it's better than a phone call.
0: Did you do much activism and stuff, Philippa? Because I feel like uh, you seem like someone who's sat around making decisions slowly. Sat around,
1: me. full stop. I'm too conflict phobic for activism. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, I'd get a bit too uh, too much adrenaline and and. Um, Um, what's that word, cortisol, I just get poisoned by these things that I can't function. So I'm not much of an activist. I mean, I might do the odd tweet.
0: (laughs) Steady on.
1: I did one the other day saying, um, isn't it a pity we made kids learn things off by heart rather than allowing them to follow their own innate curiosity? You know that—that's as far as I go when it comes to activism. Because children are so interested in everything, and if we just allow them their curiosity and, and encourage that, rather than going, "You have to learn this."
0: Yeah, yeah, we're colonising their consciousness through, you know, through sort of yeah, by by rote. And I, I feel like one of the things I notice about myself is they are inherently and organically present in the moment, and I am teaching them hey, what did you do earlier? Well, later on, we're going to do this. I'm sort of training them to, like, not be, just to live in the Just not to be alive, because we've only got now. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. I used to, I had this sort of American teacher uh, in psychotherapy uh, at one point, and she said to me, what'd she say? Um, if you live in the past and you live in the future, you're pissing on the present, she said. Yeah. She, uh, I can't do the accent. She used to be Fritz Pearls' girlfriend, I think. Who is that? Oh, what was she called?
0: Look, I didn't rehearse. I didn't... No, don't. Any, don't I didn't do any... Approach uh, for this,
1: sorry. You're called doing Something a great job. IE on the end. She's dead
0: now. Yeah, look, we've got the internet for this, rather than losing ourselves in limitless news feeds we, and banal groups. We grids. don't have to learn
1: anything off by heart now. We can Google everything
0: yeah everything's just at the end of our fingertips sometimes i feel like i want to teach my kids uh, like these are the kind of things i might project though i've not acted on it like i oh, i want them to, be able to speak loads of languages i want them to, be able to play loads of instruments i want them to be right little renaissance people I'm why don't f- you learn loads of languages right why don't i do it i'm alive you do it you do it it's too hard that's why <laughs>
1: They'll copy you. Whatever you do, they'll copy you. Like I was so pleased when my kid went off to uni to do chemistry, but she's ended up doing, uh, she writes books and illustrates now. I mean, the apple didn't fall far from the tree after all.
0: Yeah, the magnetism of those grids that were present, too oh, powerful dear. to resist. Yeah. So your, your, your child is an adult?
1: 28 years old. Yeah. About your age,
0: probably. Oh God, you sweet woman! <laughs> that, that, that was very, very deftly done.
1: I know I knew I was laying it on I knew I knew I was joking.
0: Yeah well, I took it. Um, hey you've not mentioned any uh, Jung in your various lists of uh influences. How do I like you Jung. I like his archetypes
1: he's, he's um he's a bit too spiritual for me. I'm pragmatic
0: because of the right the humanist influence how do you make with this um because i think that spirituality is pragmatic i think it's to okay sh- give people sort of like a system that stops them getting dominated by the mundial like that sort of that's sort of my sort of own take and experience of spirituality and it's actually what sort of draws me to young and i wonder how do you sort of cater then in, in, in a sort of a, from a humanist perspective for ideas like ideas like love and transcendence and sort of values that kind of bring together people in a way that's necessary, as we've discussed in the part of the conversation, when we're talking about anthropology without recourse to sort of spiritual ideas.
1: Um, Well, spiritual ideas are just, or not just, but they are stories um, to make sense of how we feel. And I like stories to make sense of how I feel. And I think that my stories are probably, you know, they can be superseded by other stories, but they are, they're sort of based more in behavioural psychology, I would call it, than spirituality. So, um, you know, a spiritual way of saying what I say would might be the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children. Whereas I might say, you'll tend to do, you know, what, um, what your parents did to you. (laughs) So, because you remember that, I mean, I think the stuff that we can't make sense of, and we, and we make up stories to try and make sense of it. And I think that's beautiful that we do that and we'll carry on doing that. It's not that I don't believe in beauty. Um, and I do think there's a huge value in transcendental – What's the word? Transcendental psychology, as as well as what is that? Oh, that is about. Um, it's mo- I don't know really what it is, but it's. I think it's more about. Um, it's more about thinking that the unconscious might be coming from a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas I would see that as more of a collective unconscious and people together, um, you know, have an atmosphere and feed off each other. Like I think three people together are as good as six people apart. You know, I, I, think, I think there's a power of being together that I don't quite understand. Yeah, that's I think there's sort of threads between us yes. that I don't get and can't explain. But, for instance, well, I did quite a lot of group therapy and I would feel so moved by the group sort of behaving and acting as a whole, as a sort of one body uh, when we got sort of really into something or we all felt something at the same time when someone was talking. Like you might get an AA, say, when someone says something and it just strikes a note with everybody and everybody's crying at the same time. And it's just a beautiful moment. Now, some people might describe something like that as, like, you know, a spiritual moment, and I might describe it as that's what happens in groups. So, I'm that's what I mean by being a bit more prosaic and a bit more. I Don't mean prosaic, do I? A bit more pragmatic rather than spiritual. I never know what spiritual means. It means something different to everybody, I think. So, I, I, I can't pin it down. So, I don't. Yeah. I
0: think well, I think it does mean different things to everyone because, in a sense it's we're dealing with the ineffable and that which can't be seen and I think that spirituality, like any idea really is is kind of uh has to be evaluated by utility, and when you're saying like you know the sins of the father or you'll likely do that cause of your dad or whatever. For me, that's about inflection because the idea behind it is, in a sense, indistinguishable, although there is doubtless a cargo when something is couched in the terms of sort of monotheism, say. But the thing that you said about group and group therapy, I've got like a a experience about that. I've been through a couple of treatment centres for a couple of forms of addiction. I wonder, Philippa, was it addiction that you have dealt with in in group settings?
1: Well, I worked at the Drug and Alcohol Foundation for a while as a group leader. And so I have worked in groups, but I've never worked on my own addictions in groups.
0: Oh, you got some, have you?
1: Oh, you know, sugar, telly, yeah. um, probably drink too much, but don't drink that much. Yeah. More than the guidelines, less than falling down drunk.
0: As long as you're within them guidelines. do not if you're, within the
1: guidelines. You're outside the guidelines. Outside you're just... the guidelines. I'm not admit. two small glasses five nights a week. I'm three big glasses six nights a week. I'm outside the guidelines, out of control.
0: If you look out to your window now, Philippa, there's a van pulling up that I've arranged for... my <laughs> that white van over there. All I can see is my... Oh, they're coming Sam. to take me away. Actually, I can only see my own reflection, which is perhaps apposite in an instance such as this. I like the sound of that, mate, down the old drug and alcohol thing, running groups, because that's my, uh, like, that's my sort of life. I uh, I,
1: I really enjoyed it because I just loved the people I met. I thought they were gorgeous. And
0: uh, was it a day programme or is it residential? Day
1: programme, yeah. And uh, there were people that had been through a treatment centre. And this was like a sort of halfway house, a sort of a place to come in the day and I do art therapy and stuff with them and um, draw a picture where you were in the past, draw a picture where you see yourself in the future, draw a picture where you see yourself now and then let's all talk about it.
0: Oh, cool. I love that. I love all that.
1: Think about metaphors for that. What's your dream? Let's all bring a dream tomorrow about what we dreamt about last night. Let's all work with that. I had a lovely time with them. And then, you know, I just sometimes I say, let's all talk about ourselves for two minutes each and see what comes up. And then I'm going to stop you after two minutes just to get people talking in the group. And just people are just so beautiful. And I, I'm always, I always and I can tell this with permission because he gave me permission. But I can remember this Scottish drunk guy that had been drunk since about the age of nine. And he was about 40 and he'd sobered up. And he, I can remember him telling me really, really harrowing stories about how his mother left him and he was left with a very violent father who used to pimp him out and it's just like absolutely horrendous. And he said, um, I only got through because I actually believed I was the Queen's son and this, uh, this regime was put on me to toughen me up because I was going to have to be king one day. And everybody in the group laughed and I said, Stop laughing I was absolutely furious I was like, stop laughing this is beautiful this kept this man alive you are so clever your unconscious is so clever to come up with that story I mean that's just an example of the people I met and the, and the clever ways they got out of their hideous predicament and I never blame anyone for wanting to wipe out what they're feeling when they're feeling so awful and I think it's great that, you know, with fellowship and, um, being understood and being validated, they can leave substances that harm them behind. And I, I had a lovely three years working there and I don't know how I got the job because I was, I was, uh, a psychotherapy trainee when I got the job and I, uh, uh, you know those jobs where the, the paid psychotherapy trainee jobs are really really difficult to get so there's always about 10 people up for each job and I thought oh I won't get it so I must as well just be really truthful so they said what are you normally like in groups and I went oh well what usually happens within about 10 minutes of me being in a new group is that I hate someone and I adore someone and um I try my best not to act on it because I know I'm just bringing a dynamic of my family of origin from the past to the current situation. But it's a real struggle sometimes not to be annoyed with someone and not to, um, you know, put someone else on a pedestal. And that's just what I do. I sort of split off like that and I thought, well, I won't get the job. And I did. And I said, why did you give me the job when I'm obviously mad and loony and do that? He said, well, you know, you're mad, so you might not act on it. So that was nice. I really enjoyed that job. It was great.
0: One of my mentors, uh, he said to me that when uh, he said, Philippa, like, like, he said that if a person, when you give them a newborn like baby, if it crosses your mind to sort of throw it over a balcony or boot it, he goes, that's a person that's in touch with their shadow and is probably more reliable <laughs> to let hold a baby. And like, I feel like with that thing, it sort of in a sense it's true to the creed of the group to acknowledge to acknowledge and then also even to know oh this is a process of projection that I'm enacting rather than people going in there not knowing because like anyone that's participated in group therapy you see some crazy stuff when I was in first in treatment. there was someone I I didn't like if I was a bit more in tune and I wasn't so recently a crack and heroin addict I'm sure I'd have seen that I just was he was my stepdad like you know like this guy who was sort of had that kind of a heaviness to him I was a bit intimidated by this dude you know it was like I was so frustrated and wanted to rebel against this authority which he didn't have by the way the authority that I had sort of you know accredited him with one of the therapists became which I just rhymed with Philippa there so like like reminded me of uh Uh, Like, she became, like, the benevolent mother to me, like, who, in fact, like, said exactly, like, uh, well done, Russell, for becoming a heroin addict. You found a way. You found a way to survive. And I thought, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, so... um yeah, there's a lot of drama in there. And also there's sort of like, there's such a beauty of the rawness and you're thinking, my God, you're going to trust these fucking lunatics to say stuff to each other. And then such profundity and such beauty and poetry and rawness, you know?
1: Oh, it's, it's beautiful. And I don't blame anyone for believing in spirituality after they've been in a lot of groups because groups are beautiful. I call it fellowship. I think I'm not
0: sure. Yes. Yes. Certainly. In some uh, traditions, certainly I um yeah i i love it a lot and but i have as a perhaps as a result of that stuff certainly embraced for me spirituality i suppose it means a set of values and principles that i use to combat my tendency towards egocentrism uh selfishness self-destructive behaviors and also behaviors that have a negative impact on others that can in my the method i've been taught only be sort of uh, negated or overcome through the practice of these principles which it's been very effective i must say in altering me albeit albeit slowly well thanks philip perry for coming on here Do you want, is there anything you want to take it out uh
1: no um except for you know all the malapropisms i've probably done if you could take those out that would be great and then just put somebody's voice in saying the correct word over the top I, i'd like that
0: the mungador tribe <laughs> arapesh um, yeah no I mean I think it's a it was p- probably an a, a maelstrom of malapropisms given that I'm the other contributor to the conversation so I, I, I wouldn't concern yourself with that I've
1: really um, enjoyed myself I didn't so know I. what to
0: expect but um I've had I've, I've had a lot of fun I felt like I've met you thank you I feel like I've met you too I'm, I, I love you and uh Grayson's Uh, show about art and everything and like i've i've known about him and his work and i've always felt a kind of affinity because i know he's from a similar background to me sort of essex and other things that i've identified (laughs) yeah 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 and uh, yeah so like yeah it's a great pleasure to like having become now more familiar with your work and perspective it's lovely to meet you philippa
1: thank you lovely to meet you too and congratulations on your podcast and indeed life thank you so much very very well
0: hasn't it yes it's turned out two real kids well. that's amazing i can't believe it still when i wake up i can't believe it i think of their faces i can't believe it you will
1: believe it because they'll be jumping up and down on your stomach i expect
0: yes that's right actually i've sustained quite a lot of abdominal and even genital injury as a result of their willingness to assault me from the sky
1: yeah, yeah. what a privilege
0: <laughs> what a way to go um <sighs> Thanks, Philippa. And if you ever need or want anything from me, please, uh, you know, I, you, you're very welcome to. Well, I noticed have actually, it. you've
1: got a very well-stacked woodshed behind you. Can I offer you some logs? Oh, I'd love some
0: logs. Love logs, I do. Are we have uh, split them for kindling with a hatchet.
1: Oh, I'd love to do that.
0: <laughs> I'd <love> a log. <laughs> anyway, I'll get a log sent your way, and a hatchet perhaps. Bye. Philippa, thank you. Say something before, perhaps. What did
1: you say, sorry? I said,
0: I'll send you a hatchet and a, a hatchet and a log, which I'm sort of thinking about actually doing even now. That'd
1: be fantastic.
0: It's a cool metaphor. Don't
1: travel on public transport with them. People don't like hatchets.
0: People are superstitious and fragile. Uh, as we... Fragile they are. <laughs> Ta-ra! Ta-ra! mate. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Under the Skin with Philippa Perry. Let me know what you thought of it on Instagram. You can tag me at Russell Brand or tweet me at Rusty Rockies with a hashtag under the skin. Sign up to my mailing list at russellbrand.com. I've got some exciting news coming up soon about an audible, original new book coming out i'll be talking to you about that more in the future get to my mailing list at russellbrand.com to get informed about things first and to be included in this community which has imperatives beyond i promise you i promise you the relentless promotion of further products uh we'll be back next week in the meantime if you enjoyed this uh, conversation with Philip, why not check out these episodes with jordan peterson gabor mate or sam harris keep checking my youtube channel for new videos continually although you know look out the window a lot as well and study the sky and take a deep breath and think about how beautiful you are and your inherent freedom thanks to listening to under the skin from luminary